This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and to enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are the gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before. What will happen in the future has happened before. Because God makes the same things happen over and over again. I also noticed that under the sun there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I say to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They came from dust and they return to dust. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? So I saw there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is our lot in life. And no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand for the reading of the word. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being part of our house. I'm glad you're here today. It's an honor to have you. And if you're part brand new, just jumping in, well, you're jumping in about eight weeks in. And uh, we've just been talking about the fruit that God expects out of our life. And we started about eight weeks ago. And it's melded itself into what I believe is helping us be better people. Here was the thought from John 15 that we started with eight weeks ago. Jesus says this, When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. And this brings joy to my Father. In other words, what, what God is looking for to bring joy is what comes out of your life. He's measuring that. And then Jesus said this, it, He calls us true disciples. I guess that means that some people can fake it. But the way we know if it's fake or not is we just look at the fruit we produce and then no matter what we say, if the fruit coming out is different, then he said, well, you might not be a true disciple. Then we landed on this thought, that the only way we as humans could ever produce the kind of fruit God wants is with the help of the Holy Spirit. 
No way you can do it on your own. You can try and make bargains with God. I swear, I promise, if you will, I will. God knows you're lying anyway. You'll never keep it. You'll never do it. You'll fail every time. So God made the remedy. The remedy was the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, though. It's not just the Holy Spirit for Sunday, so you can walk out of a church and go, wow, wasn't that good, stepped on my toes. Or so you could have a Bible study and go, wow, that verse really ministers to me. Uh, the Holy Spirit was given to impact every part of your life. Your morning coffee, your drive to work, your marriage, your child raising, your job. The Holy Spirit was to impact the fruit in every area of your life. This created an issue. The issue is, how do I as a human practically live and be led and guided, as that verse says, by the Holy Spirit when I can't see Him? He's a wind, he's a dove, you know, Jesus says he's like a dove. And, uh, so, and it, plus the very fact he's a spirit means he's invisible. So how do I, Mark, practically follow an invisible power nature of God? We landed on this thought, Romans 1. For ever since the world was created, people have seen earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, and then this tag in Romans 1, because God doesn't even want you to have an excuse. So here's one thing we know about God. He doesn't do excuses well. And he says, there's no reason you should not know me. And he doesn't link it up to the church or to a Christian or to a hypocrite knowing. Most people say, well, I wouldn't go to God, but everybody's a hypocrite, right? Well, God says, don't worry about a hypocrite. I, I didn't. They weren't even here in the beginning. I want you to look at creation, meaning the seven days of creation in Genesis. So in a weird way, God said these seven days of creation that the world says really didn't happen, you evolved from a cesspool of amoebas, and now you are the brilliant humans that you are. But you came from nothing, dirt, uh, you know, out in space somewhere. And God says, well, I appreciate y'all's wisdom. Y'all are really smart. But I did it in seven literal days. And if you look at those days, you'll see me clearly. So we decided to do that. So we've jumped into Genesis. In the last four weeks, we've been in the book of Genesis pulling out all the days of creation one at a time. We've run through three days. Here's the first three days. We're going to do day four today. Here was day one. We landed on the thought at the end of the moment, in the end of our gathering, that the Holy Spirit will always work to destroy a root of pride in you to end selfish behavior and get you to God's fruitful purpose. God is not going after giving you a new car, a new house, a new chick, a new girlfriend, a new husband, new abs, help you lose 40 pounds. He will. I mean, he's a God that will help you. His first priority is to stop you from being so selfish and trusting yourself and to end pride in your life. That was day one. Let there be light. There was light. Darkness dispelled. Jesus is the light of the world. You are the light of the world. He's come to dispel selfish behavior in you. I die to me. I'm crucified with Christ. And I will say, Mark's opinion, it's just doggone hard to get to day two because this one's so tough. My selfish behavior shows up in the weirdest of times, in the weirdest of moments. And I often say this... Uh, I realize when I start smelling an odor of selfishness, I realize it's me. I think I'm doing really good, and then all of a sudden something happens. I realize, oh, self is still there. That was day one. Here's day two. In day two, we came to an understanding of the skies, the water above and the water below, and the rainbow in the middle of the sky. We landed on this. The Holy Spirit will always work to remind you that even when you see no visible evidence, come on of a remedy, God can always be trusted. This thing that i got to see the remedy before I believe it, day two says God's already planning, God already knows your future, God knows everything you need, and He's just asking you to trust Him. So even when you're in the middle of a day and you go, where is God? Know that God's in your future preparing something. Hang in there with Him. He can be trusted. Here's day three. This was last week. The Holy Spirit will always work to remind us that the judgment and justice of God always prevail. I know we live in a season where we want people to get what's coming to them right now. 
Like all this talk, pedophilia, let's arrest them, all the Hollywood people, all the big people that are sex trafficking and all the terrible things that are going on and the molestation and the abortions and the, you know, we want people to pay now. But what we landed on is that we just need to be patient because God never forgets. Everybody gets what's coming to them and at the end it will be fair. So whenever we stand before God, it will be fair. And so God in this moment just says, know this about me. I'm a judge, but I'm also just. So you may want me to kill people now and remedy now. Just chill out. I'm working a plan. In the end, everything will equal out. The good will get what's coming. The bad will get what's coming. We'll call it even and I'll be a good, good father. And so when you sing the song, he's a good, good father. It doesn't just mean for all the good things he does. It means that he's also judge and justice. He will dish out in a fair way. Now, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1 because I want to pick up day 4 and I pray it helps you today. It's a little different than the last three days because the last three days we've really kind of gone deep with theology and tried to stretch our brains. Today is going to be a brain relaxing day. Say amen to that one. And, and I, just, I wanted to go a little different way this time. I wanted to go more practical, share some things from my personal life that I hope will help you uh, as, as I've gone through day four myself. So let's look at it. Here's Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 14. You can follow along on the screen, the TVs, if you want. It's a New Living Translation, I believe, is what I use. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days, and the years, and let the lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that's what happened. Next verse. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. That's our sun and moon, right? which is weird that on day four, the sun and the moon come into existence. Somebody asked me last week, well, if the sun and the moon came into existence on day four, then where was the light on day one? The light on day one was God. God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. So what God did on day one was He inserted Himself into the equation. We think on day one, let there be light, and there was the sunshine. No, no, no. God starts with himself first. And so God inserts himself into day one. Let there be light. In other words, God put his DNA of himself into day one. This is why when Jesus shows up in John 1, he's the light of the world. This is why also he calls you be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. He's trying to push you to this thought. The light of the world doesn't mean you walk in a dark room and your light, your, you know, your halo over your head is glowing. When he calls you the light of the world, he means that you carry his DNA. Meaning when you walk into the room, you smell like God, you look like God, you talk like God, you think like God. Why? Because God dwells in you through Jesus Christ. And so on day four now, which is weird... We get the sun and the moon. For those of you that love crazy deep diving rabbit holes on YouTube, good thought for you. If the sun and the moon don't show up on the earth until day four, then could it be the fact that the earth is the center of the universe and not the sun? And that the sun was put here to revolve around us and not us as science. We are revolving around the sun. Go study that and enjoy that YouTube video. God sets the lights in the sky to light the earth. Here's another thought for you deep diving YouTube people. He calls the bigger light, the sun, the, the sun is the bigger light, the smaller one to govern the night, we call the moon. And he also made the stars. Isn't it funny though, we teach you that the moon is a rock and God calls the moon a lesser light. So go study that when you can enjoy that one too. God sets the lights in the sky and then I highlighted this word govern. That in everything God is trying to do, it's to establish his government. God just wasn't making days so he'd go, wow, look, I'm, I'm a creator and you all got created instead of evolution. God's not on an ego trip. What he's trying to teach us is that in every day, he's leading us to his government being in charge. And he says this about these lights. He says to govern the day, the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and evening passed, and the morning came, and we get day four. Go back a verse, Matt, if you will. I highlighted the words I want you to look at, because day four, it's not that deep. I guess we could go deep, but we'll, we'll hang shallow. 
Day four is God establishing a DNA of his kingdom. And the kingdom DNA of God is everything God does happens in seasons, times, days, and years. I got a yes, yes, and then a that's right. I'll try it again. God marks everything he does in seasons, days, and years. <laughs> it's just written. Um, it wasn't like that deep. It was just there. I, I wanted a great amen and thank you. Um, this is what it tells me about day four. First off, that God's just not in a hurry. I do not like the fact that God calls it seasons, days, and years. And the weird thing is God is eternal. He's outside. I, I use this as my blanket of time that we humans live in. But God is eternal. It's, it's his realm. It's, you can't even understand it from a time perspective. But when he created us humans, he put us in the middle of this thing called time. And then God says this. Now, just trust me. That's day two. Just trust me. I'm working a plan. I got you back. Everything's going to work out for you. Oh, by the way, quit having selfish behavior in this time thing uh, because I'm working. If you really parse this through the Old Testament and the New Testament, it does bear truth. Because he shows up to Abraham, Angela, and says, hey, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, yay, today. And God's like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, how about telling a brother when? He's like, no, never. And so it was just 25 years of having sex. How miserable is that? Just, you know, trying to have a kid. But it took 25 years for Abraham to have the kid God promised him. And it seems so unfair. It took Noah 100 years to build a boat. So when it says that God marks seasons, days, and years, he literally means that. When he told Eve, hey, your seed will crush his head, he's just talking a mere 4,000 years. When he told the fellas while he's going up in the book of Acts, yo, I'll be back shortly, 2,000 years. Why are you lying to me? Why didn't you tell me, hey, chill out, I'm coming back in 2,000 years, right? Well, if he would have said that, I would have just went fishing. Right? 2,000 years, I'm not wasting my time. But God does everything to mark seasons, days, and times. The reality of God, just think of this, God putting Jesus into the virgin's womb and God backing off for nine months and just letting little baby Jesus, who's God, grow. And if you don't think God knows what you're going through, Imagine, son, come here. What you want, dad? I got a plan I've been working on. Yeah, what you been working on, dad? I've been working on this a long time. Like, even before there were those people. Here's my plan. You enjoy being up here, right, with me in the spirit? Oh, dad, I love it. It's so wonderful. The angels around the throne that sing worthy, worthy, worthy every day. We have the universe at our hands. We created it all. I was wisdom that was there in the beginning with you, Pops. Isn't this wonderful? Please share with me your divine plan, Dad. My divine plan is I'm going to put you in the middle of that woman's womb down there and you're going to be there for nine months in the middle of total darkness wrapped up in the womb of a woman and the only way you're going to get out is to come through the birth canal in something that's called pain. Can you imagine the God of the universe trying to teach you something about times and seasons that he would impregnate himself into the womb of a woman and go from the throne of glory to the darkness of a woman's womb for nine months relying on a human being to push him out of the vagina canal so God could come out and then wait 30 years for the little kid to grow up. And that doesn't blow your mind. The little kid that grows up has to grow up without sinning. Anybody raised one of those? No. The little kid that has to grow up has to grow up without ever breaking a bone. Because none of his bones will be broken because that's what was prophesied. I don't know if I want that pressure. Here's your little baby. Just want to tell you, break a bone, make God mad. Ah, 
Nobody would have held my kid. They're like, hand me that kid. No. And I would have had them wrapped up with pillows. Like, where's the kid? I'd have pulled a pillow back right there. Is my kid. Why do you have them wrapped up in pillows? I can't break anything. If I do, God's ticked at me. You wouldn't have let them play football. At best, your son would have been a cheerleader. And then he wouldn't have been a flyer. He would have been a base. You're, like, You're not flying. You might drop you and break something. Probably most of you, and my kid just plays ping pong. That's it. But think about this. The son of the living God eternal went through a season of living in the womb of a woman and then God just waited 30 years for the kid to grow up while other people raised his kid. And yet had such faith in himself that it would work. Why? Because he already told you in the first three days of creation, I can be trusted. I know what I'm doing. But seasons, times, and years is great for God. We're not God. We're humans. Here's how it reads in my Bible. God said, let the light spear in the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be signs to mark the seconds, the minutes, and the hours. I need God to work that fast. I don't want God to mark seasons. I want Him to do it in seconds. I don't want Him to mark days. I want Him to do it in hours. I want Him to do it in minutes. I want God to hurry up and answer my prayer. I gave a $5 in the offering. I want my 20 back by the time I get in the parking lot. That's what the preacher said. Give and it'll be given back. Good measure. Press down, shake it together, running over. Did it in my lap, it'll be poured. Here's five God. I really need a 20. Come on, Jesus. That's how humans work. We don't like seasons, days, and years. We like it now. I want my prayer answered now. They told me if I came to the altar and they laid hands on me, it would fix my marriage. I want my marriage fixed after the preacher prays for me. I want my life right in a moment. I want to lose that 40 pounds now. I don't want to go to a gym and I don't want to eat cardboard. I want to keep eating chicken wings and nuggets and I don't want to wait for seasons and years. But it's the way God works. It's, it's totally antithesis to the way the human brain of a, of a, of a created being works. I, I need now, 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 now. If you do not believe this is absolutely true, go to Chick-fil-A. And you pull up to Chick-fil-A. What are they doing? My Lord, the cars. There's like 900 cars. And then there's that frustrating moment. I sure do like that frosted lemonade, but I don't want to wait. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Well, I could get myself a warm cookie at the end. Yes, I'll wait. No, I won't. Yes, I will. I mean, if anybody in that battle, I'm going to wait. No, nope. yep, no. Nope. And then you get in. Thank God for whoever has come up with the plan at Chick-fil-A to move me through in less than six minutes. Glory to God for those little 52 high school kids out there. This is how it goes. Welcome to Chick-fil-A. What is your name? Mark? What would you like? Okay, frosted lemonade. Okay, swipe, hurry, swipe, hurry, swipe, hurry. Like that's how it goes. I'm like, man, these people are awesome. This has to be a restaurant ran by God. At McDonald's, it's like, anybody in there? Can you hear me? Right? I mean, ugh. But that's seasons, times, and years. Well, here's, here's what I believe. I believe when God put this in day four, He was establishing a kingdom principle, not just for spring, summer, winter, and fall, but because you're the new creation, it would show also how your life works in seasons. And just like God established spring, summer... Winter, fall, my personal experience of life is, and ergo my faith as well. My faith has the spring and summer times when everything works. My prayers work. My giving works. Me and Jesus are like first cousins. I mean, we're just so close. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, me. I mean, I'm that close to Him. Every time I open my Bible, words come out. I just pray a prayer and things happen. I'm just riding down the road to have the thought. The thought happens. I'm like, oh, God, it's so good. But then there is the fall and winter. And that's the where is God when I need Him? 
It's the bad news that came from the doctor. It's the, my life's not working. My marriage is falling apart. I'm, I'm giving and I'm going broke. I, I don't even enjoy the Bible. I don't even understand it. I, I've been hurt. I, spring and summer, fall and winter, I believe, this is an opinion, I believe we're not just to mark creation as Genesis, but to also mark the new creation of me. And the thing I've noticed is most of us, I'm throwing myself in the bag with you, we do not handle winter well. We just don't. I would imagine not many people in here would raise their hands and say, I just love going through winter. I think it's the greatest thing in the world when my life's falling apart and nothing works, I'll sign up for that. But what I do know is that everybody who comes into a relationship with Jesus somewhere in their walk, they do hit things that they did not expect and they do bump into things called life and they do bump into the things where Jesus said, oh, I just want to give you a heads up, every day has enough trouble of its own. So that's Matthew 6. So here's what I'd like to share with you. First, the problem. Here's the problem of spring and summer that I've kind of come to notice in my own walk with God. The problem with spring and summer is most people in spring and summer get sloppy in their faith. My life's good. And because my life is good, my Bible reading suffers. Because I'm having a great time. I'm going to the lake. I'm busy. I'm doing life. I'm running my hobbies. Everything's great. I get sloppy in my faith. It doesn't mean I'm not going to heaven. It doesn't mean I'm on my way to hell. I just get sloppy. My prayer life's not as strong as it could be. My giving is sloppy. My coming to God's community of people is sloppy. My, my disciple and devotion is sloppy. Man, my life's working. I mean, everything. My marriage is great. My money's great. My job is great. My family's great. Man, I'm just loving life. Nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times I've noticed that when life is going great with people, their faith gets sloppy. Because we're human, faith is often connected to being a victim. And I only seek God when things are falling apart. God is my crutch of religion. And so there's the victor mentality which seeks God when it's falling apart. And then there's the victor that just kind of forgets about him because everything's so good. So here's the problem in the winter. In the fall and winter when things aren't going my way, because I've been sloppy in the spring and summer, I tend to just give up. I have nothing to grab onto. I'm just ticked off now. I'm mad at God now. He's not doing what I want Him to do now. And my own experience in 30 years of being a pastor and my own walk as well, I've noticed that if I'm not careful, when life is good, I can get sloppy. And when life is bad, I can get bitter. And I have to be very careful. That when things are going good, as my mother says, and I'll, I'll tell it to you how she taught it to me, she said, when, when things come against you you weren't expecting, that's not the time to go searching for faith. You should have already had it. The worst time to go panning for gold is five hours after the budget's due. You should have been panning for gold. So what she taught me as a young man is, the reason many people don't do well in winter is, is they've not increased their faith in the good years so they could fight in the bad ones. And it's hard. She says, she even said it's hard to, I think she said it this way, it's hard to dig up faith in the middle of a battle. You just need to already have it. So here's what I want to do practically. I won't keep you long, but I hope it's practical enough you can go away and go, I think I learned something that will help me. Uh, I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes 3, if you will, back to where Jody read. And I want to read verse 18 for you. So Ecclesiastes 3. Now, just so you understand, in Ecclesiastes, the brother has, is Solomon. He's the wealthiest man that's ever lived. There's never been anybody wiser than him. And he has over 700 women in his harem. So the brother's busy and wealthy. He's smart. He's got it going for him. I don't know what else he could need, but this is his uh, verse 18. 
I also thought about the human condition. And the reason he's thinking about the human condition is I believe he's locked in his palace room trying to hide from those 700 women. He's like, I need to really think this through. He says, how God proves to people, listen to this now, people are just like animals. This brother right here writing this chapter is going through a winter. Because he's the wealthiest guy that ever lives. He lacks for nothing. He's got plenty of women in his harem. His kingdom's bigger than any kingdom that's ever been on planet earth. And his conclusion is, we're all just like animals. Read on, verse, verse 19. For people and animals share the same fate. He, do, he doesn't even think he's got any hope. This is a brother that's lost all hope. He comes down and says, oh, they just have no real advantage over animals. Uh, it's just all meaningless. How could a guy with more money than you could fathom, with everything going his way, come to the conclusion that his life is meaningless? I'll tell you why. Because God wants us to understand through the teaching of King Solomon in Ecclesiastes that there is nothing on planet earth that will ever help you get through a winter season except God. No amount of money, no, no woman, no man, no new man, no new woman, no new wife, no new husband, no new plan, no new business. You can run, you can hide. Nothing will ever get you out of a winter season except God. And everything you try in winter is going to turn out meaningless to you. I just don't understand why it's not working. So I encourage you when you read Ecclesiastes, read it from the mindset of a brother that has everything, who's come to the conclusion everything is meaningless, who will also come to the conclusion the only option is to fear God and keep His commandments. So I want to teach you in the next few minutes how I, married to Robin 30 years, how I've made it through winter. I wish, and if it were true, I would teach you, but I don't think it is. I wish I could stand up here and say, if you just love God, you'll never have winter. If you could just pray hard enough, fast long enough, read your Bible long enough, study the right version of the Bible, because that's probably why a lot of us are in winter. We're not King James only, and therefore it's winter. So get your Bibles. You know, I mean, just all the things we do as humans to avoid winter. I wish I could give you a magic bullet, but I just don't think that's how the kingdom is set up. One thing I know about winter... It will reveal whether or not you live by the fruit or by the root. Because, here's the thing. In winter, it's very difficult to tell which trees are alive and which are dead. And if you're not careful, you can cut down something that's alive because you think it's dead because you're looking at the leaves for the fruit and it's the roots where the life is. So one thing a winter moment will do is define what kind of Christian you really are. A winter. A winter will determine whether or not you're going to live by the root or whether you're going to live whining about the fruit. Because we're all visual. This is summer. Look at everything, man. Look how good that summer fruit looks. And then all of it falls. Nothing's working. And God says, look, don't worry. Just look down at the root. The root of your life is me. You're going to be okay. So I want to teach you just briefly how to survive winter. Everybody okay with that? Yeah. All right, Proverbs 18, 21. And I'm giving them to you as I've lived them. I'm not saying there's only four. There's probably 9,000. And if I ask you how you got through your winter, you got your way too. So these are the ways that Mark Evans has found works for me. I'm just going to pass it on to you. Maybe it'll work for you too if you want to try it. Here's Proverbs 18, 21. How to survive winter. The tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk... Oh, Shaka Khan. How many of you talkers have ever reaped the consequence of your mouth? Lord Jesus! <laughs> I asked Robin one time, I said, Why do you think... I just feel like people take advantage of me all the time and don't really respect the things I say. Like, it's just, they don't hear it. She says, it's because you talk all the time. She said, if you'd quit talking so much, maybe when you say something to carry more weight. And I'm like, ah, that stung. <laughs> Some of you right now are probably like, yeah, shut up so we can go home. <laughs> All right, here's number one. You have to come to a revelation in winter that your, your words can make winter worse. 
you need to watch your mouth so you don't reap your words. Because I have found in the mental of blooming winter, our mouth loses its conscience. And we just start, like a stuck nothing you Tasmanian devil. Right? And then we want to know, I just don't know why my life ain't working. You're reaping your words. Your words have life. Your words have death. And what I have found in the middle of winter, if I'm not strong enough in my faith, I will just speak words of death. Nothing ever goes my way. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. God, I hate this. God, I hate my job. God, I hate the way I look. God, I hate my fat. God, I hate my marriage. God, I hate my... Right? Good object lesson for you. Matthew 12, I believe, 21, somewhere in there. Jesus, you'll give an account of every idle word you've ever said. All right. Okay, here comes Mark. He's coming through a winter. Okay, winter. All right, come here, angel. I need you to here take the little scroll. And let's, let's write down what he's saying. And all of a sudden, I'm down here like, and that, that angel's up there just like, Ooh, he needs to shut up. He's one of those talkers. Oh, God. Talks all the time. It's so easy with Robin. She says two words and that's it. But she puts exclamations on him. This, this guy just rambles incessantly with his hurt and bitterness and pity parties. And, and then all of a sudden I'm done. And he takes that and Jesus says, would you hand me and let me see what you wrote? And then all of a sudden the intercessor, Jesus, who intercedes for me day and night before the throne room of God, takes this litany of this nice scroll and he unrolls the scroll and there's every death or life I've ever spoken recorded in the eternal realms. And then little peon devil according to Job, shows up in the courtroom of God, Revelation 12, to accuse Mark before God day and night. And he walks up to God in the middle of my winter and he said, hey, what does he say there? And, and Jesus says, well, this is what he said. Da, 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 da. And then the devil goes, okay, now here's what I need you to do because you are a God of your word. You know you are because you did it to me. Then I say to you, you will be unjust if you do not let happen to him everything he said because you said you were a God of life and death and we would reap everything we sow. So now you're obligated to let Mark reap what he sowed or else you do not keep your word and then therefore you're guilty. So because God is just and judge, we, day three, God has to allow me to reap the words of my mouth. And then I'm down here, I just don't know where you are, what I need you the most. <laughs> and he's up there going, bro, I look, I, I'd love to help you, but if I just come down and help you now, then I'm not true to my word because I say you reap what you sow and your mouth has been sowing that, you're going to reap your words, Mark. I'm so sorry. Do you see in winter, here, here's my best pastoral advice. And just so you know, it's good advice. I have three college degrees. I've read my Bible for 30 years in a row. And I've not missed a day in 30 years. I'm about to drop it. Here it is. Shut your pie hole. <laughs> Zip it. Throw the key away. If you can't say something good... Shut your mouth. Keep your mouth quiet. And people look at you like, what's going on? How are you doing? You don't look like you're doing good. But most of us are like, how are you doing? You don't look like you're doing good. I'll tell you how I'm doing. I'll tell you exactly how I'm doing. You want to know how I'm doing? Let me tell you how I'm doing. And then off we go. In the middle of a winter, keep your mouth shut. Number two, book of Acts. Chapter five, a guy named Ananias that drops dead to church service. God love that service. I don't believe I would have went. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? You've kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? And then in green, 
What made you think of doing such a thing? How many of you wives have said that to your husband? How many of you husbands have said that to your wife when you saw the credit card bill? What made you? This finds itself in the Bible in a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira who concoct a plan. I don't know what's going on, but I guarantee you it's winter. Because they've decided the best option we have is to lie. And most people in a winter will concoct all kind of things to come up with to get what they want. And Peter said... Um, Dude, what, 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 what made you think of doing this? Now here's my opinion. I'll throw it up on the board. This is what I've walked out and it's not fun. In winter, don't do foolish things you will regret. Because one thing about winter, you will do stupid. As my mother so aptly put it, son, don't do stupid. And the one time I did, well... I've done a million of them. I've hit a lot of them from her. But the one time I did, and I reaped a severe consequence, this is what she said, and only the way a loving mother could say because you can't divorce her. She's like, I told you don't do stupid. <laughs> right? How many of you, now let's just play, let's have fun. How many of you ever done something foolish that you regret? Good, the whole room, hallelujah, right? Like, but, but I think it be true is that a lot of times in winter we do foolish things. It's the man whose marriage is not going well right now. We're really busy. The sexual intimacy is kind of low. And then all of a sudden before he knows it, he's made stupid decisions and he's off with another woman. Because he did something foolish in the middle of a winter. Rather than really getting down and going, let's press through this marriage problem. I simply made it worse because I did something foolish. And a lot of times Christians will do things that they regret and really there's just no going back. Because some things we do in winter follow us forever. And I wish they all didn't. Not all of them do. But some things we do in a winter moment, the pain and hurt can follow us forever. Most of you that know my story, it's not a fun story to tell. I don't enjoy it and revel in it, but I've had to learn how to grab hold of the beauty of it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share a scripture with you in a minute to tell you about this foolish thing because some of you still may have some things following you that you regret, that you've done in a winter, and you think, will I ever get over it? Will I ever get past it? Um, for those of you that know, if you're new, I'm not going to drop a bomb on you too deep. You can know my story, but years ago I, I committed adultery on my wife. It's not something that I'm proud of. It was a terrible winter season in my life. I did something very stupid and foolish, and I, Mark, have to live with that decision, and so she, for the rest of my life. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't go back and go, I wish I didn't, I wish I hadn't failed. I wish I hadn't have done that dumb thing. I wish I hadn't have been so stupid in that moment, but I was, and I paid a high price. And so I live till Jesus takes me home or I pass life. I will forever live with that scar of regret that will follow me the rest of my life. There's no getting out of it. For those that know it is what it is, I've asked God to forgive me. I want, Matt, if you can find the text, but there's a thing in there that says this about God, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God makes all things beautiful in His time. And what I've learned about this system of regret, of things we do that we regret, if you will just give God time, He will make your biggest regret something beautiful. Because today, the biggest regret of my life but because me and my wife gave God time, you're getting to see me years later. She had to go through the hell with me. But because we've given it time and she gave it time and I gave God time, in time, God will always work your mess to a masterpiece. God will always take your biggest failure and turn it into His redemption. 
God will always get the glory of your story if you'll just give him time in the winter to work without rooting yourself up, throwing a pity party, and getting out. Just stay in the game, hold on to God, press into God, repent from the stupidity that you did, ask him to cleanse you with his blood, and then just hold tight, baby. And if you will hold tight, somewhere in your future, your mess becomes a miracle of God's redeeming grace. Whether that is a divorce, whether that is you've been molested, whether that is somebody did you wrong, if you will just hang in there with God out of that weird mess, God will bring something beautiful. I don't even know how he does it, but he's God and he does it. Amen. Number three, so don't do things you regret. Number three, Luke 6, 38. In winter, here's a verse, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more. This is definitely, you know you're in summer. Running over, poured into your lap. That's summer. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I have found the reason most people don't live pressed down, shaken together, making room for more is that in the middle of winter they quit sowing. If you want to reap summer, spring fruit, you better plant seeds in the middle of winter. And most people in wintertime don't want to think about planting. They want to think about getting back. But I've learned in my own life that when I find myself in a hole, a deep, dark place, a life's not working place, uh, however that defines winter for me, I have found that one of the greatest things that I've learned to connect with is start giving. Now, I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about finances. And I'm not going to take up some special offering in a minute. I want to help you understand that in the middle of a winter, oftentimes one of the greatest things you can do is get out of your pity party and start sowing to other people. I'll say it this way. In the middle of your winter... Become someone else's summer. So I will often find myself going through hard times and I'll think, all right, and if I can feel it coming on, I'll feel the stress of it, I will feel the what if of it, I will feel the thoughts, the you're not a good pastor, you're not a good dad, you're this, you're going to fail, I'm going to kill you, oh, I don't know, just whatever thoughts bombarding life and coming against me. I will find myself, when I feel that anxiety coming on, I'm like, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I immediately turn on, uh, I'm not dead yet. Mm, woke up this morning with a Holy Ghost. I'm not dead yet. Mm, you got and then I just, I put it on. I got it on my YouTube, and I immediately start playing. When I rose this morning with the Holy Ghost, I'm not dead yet. And I just crank it up to 22.5. If Robin's in the car with me, I'm like, shut your ear up. She's only got one ear. Close your ear. It's for those of you that don't know, she's deaf in one ear. That's probably why she's been ignoring you. Uh, and if she does hear you and ignores you, it's a great out. That's just wonderful. I was like, honey, I'll pray for you. God will heal you. I don't want to be healed. It's a great excuse for not listening to people. I'm like, oh, man, why didn't I miss my ear, you know? So I'm like, okay, I'm just singing at the top of my voice. Even last night at the house, I was playing the song. My brain was kind of all over. I'm playing the song. I'm just kind of trying to get my brain right. And my girl's like, turn it down, Daddy. Turn it down. And I went from like 59 down to 57. I'm like, oh, that's down, you know. But I've had to train myself to, to sow to my, to my spirit in the middle of winter. And then I'll be sitting in a line at Starbucks and I'll feel the anxiety. Like, oh no, devil. Oh no. I'll get up the window. I'm like, I'm paying for three cars behind me. I don't know what they got, but I'm paying for all of them. Just bless them. Just here's my card. Just whatever three cars are behind me. Just and then I get it back. It's like $180. I'm like, take two of them off. Take two of those cars off. <laughs> and I, I don't know what those people are drinking back there, but daddy can't make it because I know if I keep it, I'll be like, God, let that charge go through. $187, Jesus got to go. But I've learned, I've learned to be a giver. I've learned to bless people. If I'm feeling anxious and I'm eating lunch, I'm just thinking, no devil, and the, and the bill will come, and I'm like, all right, I'm giving her a 35-buck tip. Just, I'm just going to bless somebody. i got to get this thing out of me. Why? Because here's what I've learned in a season of winter. Just keep sowing good things and expect to reap good things. 
I said this in the first service. I would have probably written it differently in the moment. But last night it came to me this way. And this morning it came to me. In the middle of winter, be somebody else's summer. Because the moment you start sowing seeds to other people, Shiloh, you just forget about your problems. The moment you see somebody else smile, Bethany, you're like, yeah, it's not that bad. Because you, you begin to pour into their life and you become their joy and you become their reason for getting up. You, you, you become their, the girls that make donuts for us. Mm, bless them, Lord, at Ingles. Every, every huddle, I bring donuts in. And the other day, I just went in and gave them all Starbucks cards. I thank you for getting up early and making my donuts. I, they're not even my donuts, but I pre. You would have literally thought they just won Publishers Clearinghouse. <laughs> and all I gave them was a Starbucks card. Of just, I'm thankful for you. Why? Because I have found in the middle of a winter, being thankfully giving to other people just makes my winter so much better. Number four, this is the last one. This one hurts a mite, but I'll read it. 1 Corinthians 16, 6. Perhaps, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter. Ugh. And then you can send me on my way to my next destination. I'll just go ahead and give it to you. There's no reason to belabor the point. <laughs> Choose wisely. <laughs> the people you shall winter with. I felt like that's something off uh, whatever that movie is. Yeah. I find in winter most people choose poorly. We get the people that have the pity party, the people at work that understand what I'm going through, the people at work that pat me on the back and tell me, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't believe you have to go through this, I would leave him too, I can't believe you're married to him, I can't believe you put up with that. They're everywhere. They come out like ants. Have you ever noticed in the middle of the winter the devil sends all his little friends to come console you? And I'm not against that. I'm not against somebody bringing me a blizzard in the middle of my winter. Because that would make me feel like I'm in a summer. But truly, it's not a blizzard I need. I need a friend that will yank me up off my hind end and tell me to quit pouting and whining, get my hind end back into church, get in the Word, pray myself through, and get me out of this mess that I'm in. And I will just say this, in the middle of winter, you need some friends that will pull you through. You need some people that will go the way. Why? Go back a verse, Matt, if you will. Why? Because I need you to help me get to my next destination. I don't need you to sit here and cry with me and whine with me. I need a friend that can tell me the hard things that I don't want to hear, that can speak truth to me and hurt my feelings and not be afraid of hurting my feelings and tell me what I need to know. And if you will, maybe I'll be able to keep journeying in my walk with God to get where God wants me to be. And I find in winter, many people never get to where God wants them to be because they're surrounded by all the wrong people. And when somebody does try to come into your equation and go, hey, just want to throw this out there, you get your feelings hurt. You, you shut them off. You, you don't need to do that. And I'm not asking you to get 50 of these people. They probably don't exist. But I promise you, at least three people are out there a Peter, James, and a John. There's at least an Apostle Paul who will walk in the room of your life and rebuke you and tell you what you need to hear. It might be a mama, it might be a daddy, it might be a Chris Redmond, but it needs to be somebody that can just speak to your life and go, dear God, Mark, so what if the church is flooded and it's filled with mud? Did God call you to do this thing or not? <laughs> yes, mother. <laughs> well, then get busy doing what God wants you to do. It doesn't matter that the basement of the church is flooded and you had a fire. <laughs> I know, mother. Let me talk to Diddy. <laughs> Dad, <laughs> the basement flooded and there was a fire. <laughs> I lost my office for seven months. <laughs> Dad, well, sir, you want to go to Longhorn? <laughs> no, I want somebody to feel sorry for me. 
Thank God for parents that don't feel sorry for me. Thank God for a wife that doesn't mind rebuking me. I just want a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> so I want. Well, a Proverbs 30 woman woman was also a woman who drove a spike through the head of a man and killed him. Give me that kind of woman. I need a woman that will drive something through my head to get all these demons out. <laughs> and she's like, good, I can do that really well. Come on. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to use a little humor with a little bit of hurt. Many of us get stuck because we get the wrong people in the mix. We get stuck in the problem because we, we do something stupid. We run off with another guy. We start downloading to the secretary. We start talking to all of our best friends. Our words are wrong. Our faith is wrong. Our friends are wrong. We don't know why winter is so blooming long. Well, the end result is this. In the middle of a winter, you better know God is never taking His eyes off you. And his kingdom is set up that if you will just give him time and by time the right seeds to plant words keep sowing in the winter so you can reap something in the spring. Watch who you hang out with. Right? Those things. I promise as what I've read in the word and I believe in the word if you will hang in there you will come through to your next destination. Watch. I'm not saying you'll never have another winter but I'm saying when you step into spring, your shoulders will be a little broader. Your chest will be showed a little more. Your faith in God will be stronger. Why? Because he brought me through. And now I have a testimony to tell you. And I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Just know this. This winter can either be a season of trouble or nothing more than a propulsion to a testimony. You get to pick which one it is. But if you give him time, he'll make it beautiful. Amen? Stand up with me, if you will. Let me pray for you. Give God a shout of praise, if you will. Hallelujah. Now, if you don't mind, if you just bow your head, not to trick you, but to, for those of you that are new, to tell you kind of where we go from here. All right? I have been in a place in my own seasons of life where I would get really tense at this moment because in the preacher world, this is where I determine whether or not I did good or not. It's called the altar call. How many flood, how many cry. That's kind of how religion does it. And it, it becomes so stressful that where I've landed here in this season of my life is Michael did his part, he sang. Jody did her part, she read the word. I did my part. I tried to encourage you from the Bible. But the beauty of it all is we've tried to uh, build an atmosphere in this church where all of that is great, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's kind of futile. And so this moment, I typically say it this way. This is my verbiage. We have ended, and we're asking the Holy Spirit to do His work now. So up here in the front, we have communion elements. It's our engaging to the Holy Spirit of what Jesus did for us. But what I, what I ask of us is that maybe in the reading of the word worship or my encouragement of the word, something pricked your heart. Maybe your words, maybe you're not sowing, maybe you've got the wrong people in the mix, but something probably jumped out. Something grabbed you and said, that's me. I struggle with that. Well, what we ask is let the Holy Spirit touch that by coming up to the communion tables and just saying, Holy Spirit, I know this is an issue in my life and I'm asking you to involve yourself in it and be God and Lord of my life. I'm asking you to govern my life. That's what I pray when I come to the table. Be in charge of my life. And for those of you that may be new, this is the end of our service. So we end with communion. You can slip out if you need. We have many that will stay and continue to pray. Cameron leads us in worship. Our elders and prayer team are to my left and right. Robin and I will be up front. We have people here that will pray for you now. Uh, it just takes boldness. But we just kind of say, hey, we're done with our part. And now we just let the Holy Spirit do His. So we give you space. We give you space to linger, pray, uh, take communion with a family, whatever you want. But we do ask that you let the Holy Spirit speak. On the tables are for our baskets. 
Uh, it's because people who call this place home, they do their giving and they bring their tithe and they bring their offering and we bless that as well. I want to lead you in a prayer at the end of my prayer. Cameron will lead us in worship. You all come partake of communion and ministry as you feel led. Pray this. Heavenly Father, I've realized today in the middle of winter, I can often trust myself, but I choose today to say I'm done with me. I choose you. You first chose me. So Lord Jesus, I confess that I believe in you. You died for me. You took my sin and you're alive for me. Lord Jesus, I confess with my mouth, you are my Lord. Holy Spirit, come into my heart now and regenerate me and give me life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.